Welcome to Emergence Magazine's podcast. I'm Emmanuel Vaughn Lee, executive editor of Emergence Magazine, located on the unceded ancestral lands of the Coast Miwok people of present-day Marin County. Each week, we feature a new interview, narrated essay, or story, exploring the threads connecting ecology, culture, and spirituality. Earlier this month, we released a special multimedia feature called They Carry Us With Them, exploring the migration of trees and what is at stake for both ecological and human communities as forests move. Following up from last week's story on the black ash, staff writer Chelsea Steinauer Scudder shares three tree migration vignettes about three different tree species. Sugar maple, paper birch, and red spruce. Stories of tree migration are stories of all that is held by trees and all that stands to be lost when a species moves away from the places and people who have folded that tree into their way of life. In this way, every story of tree migration is a cultural as well as an ecological story. When I was researching this story, I wanted to understand what it is that trees carry with them when they leave. The environmental factors at play and the human communities involved may vary, but as a forest changes, it seemed, it always tugs at far-reaching strands of connection and relationship. The migrations of sugar maple, paper birch, and red spruce are three complex and nuanced stories, but are shared here as short vignettes, each offering a glimpse of just one aspect of tree migration, respectively nourishment, forest succession, and industry. Sugar Maple In mid-March, nearing the spring equinox, the days begin to warm in West Newfield, Maine. The sun reflects off the crusted ring of packed snow that is beginning to sink towards the base of her trunk as she begins to wake from her winter sleep. At night, temperatures sink back down into winter's cold, setting down frost by morning, and sometimes a fresh layer of snowfall that melts as the sun skims the late winter sky. As the nights and days do this dance, this gentle ritual of warm to cold to warm, the sugar maple's own dance begins. At night, she pulls more water into her roots. In the daylight, pressure exerted from the work of her leaves pulls sugared water up her trunk, through the xylem that carries the starch that she stored in her roots last summer and fall, and up to her leaves as they photosynthesize. She inhales and exhales. She drinks in sunlight. Sap is running. At 150 years old, she is a grandmother tree. Her roots are interwoven with mycorrhizal fungi, which in turn weaves her more deeply into the temperate hardwood forest where she grows. For a century and a half, she has been a source of sustenance to white-tailed deer, moose, porcupine, squirrels, and snowshoe hare, who eat her bark, twigs, and fruit. It is known that she has been tapped most every season for the last 70 years. After this place where she grows came to be called West Newfield, Maine, a family of sugar makers came to the forest. They tapped with spigots and buckets and carted vats of sap out of the woods with horses. Descendants of this family still tap into her bark each winter. 
she still has plenty to give. She survived the 1947 fires, which curved and snaked around this mountain on both sides but spared the sugar bush where she grows. She lost several small limbs in the 1998 ice storm, and then more during Tropical Storm Isaias in 2020. Where she has sustained damage, sugar maple borers have found opportunity to work their way beneath her bark. Some years, she is more susceptible to fungal diseases that turn the bottoms of her leaves black by late August. She is well-established and has weathered many changes, though her limbs are ever more susceptible to high winds and the borers that continue to do their work, and the woodpeckers will come and then the ants, she will nurture life, even as she continues her slow return to the forest floor. And she senses what might be coming for the younger maples that grow around her in the sugar bush. She has felt the winter's warming. Every year there is less and less snowpack to insulate her roots. She has felt her sap flowing earlier in the season. She senses that an uncertain future lies ahead for this small mountainside. There's some beautiful bluebirds going into that birdhouse, says Harry Thurston, nodding towards some of the old maples that grow up near the sugar house, trees that were tapped by his mother and before that by his grandmother and great uncle. You see the bluebirds, hummingbirds, they're here because of these trees. Harry is the third generation of sugar makers on the mountain. He is in his early 70s. This has been a hard season as he's had trouble with his health, though the woods, he says, make for good medicine. There's some feeling by some people that in 20 years we won't even be making syrup here. It'll warm up that much, he says. You just hear enough from friends that live in North Carolina or Baltimore. Everything's moving north. What was in Baltimore is in Southern Connecticut. What was in North Carolina is in Baltimore. Those are things people don't understand about global warming, the effects it has on the trees. I grew up in the Northeast in Vermont, and I know what cold is, says Harry's wife, Debbie. But it just isn't cold anymore. Harry and Debbie didn't have children and are now working with Maine Farmland Trust to find the next stewards of these 210 acres when the time comes. They want to find someone who will carry the sugar bushes long past into an uncertain future. They want to leave these trees in the hands of someone who will love them. There's a spiritual piece to it, there's no question about it, if you really care about your trees, says Debbie. She looks up into the grandmother maple's branches. These are the trees that I wish could talk. Paper Birch The fall of 1947 on Mount Desert Island was the driest on record. Autumn rains never arrived, and by the time a column of smoke was spotted rising from a cranberry bog on October 17th, an eager fire had already taken to the land. It would rage for nearly a month and consume more than 17,000 acres on the island. 400 people in Bar Harbor had to flee on fishermen's boats, launching into a smoke-filled harbor. During that season, recalled as the year that Maine burned, a series of fires across the state ultimately claimed 220,000 acres and 16 lives. Maine is not a state that often catches fire. The monstrous blazes of the western United States have not found a seasonal home in New England— where conditions remain wet enough throughout the year to prevent frequent wildfires of anywhere near that magnitude. Perhaps this is why 1947 stands out so clearly in Maine's memory, 
and why the presence of paper birch and aspen in Acadia National Park so clearly tells the story of that year of fire, nearly 75 years later. In the places where the forest burned, birch and aspen found a home among the nutrient-poor soils. They still grow together today, birch with gray-white bark that peels away in strips that blush underneath, aspen with leaves that flip and tremble, both with umber eyes on white trunks. These trees make up an early successional forest, an ecosystem beloved by ruffed grouse, three-toed woodpeckers, and olive-sided flycatchers. The presence of this forest type in New England is often a sign of recent disturbance, most often logging, but these trees especially love a forest floor that has been disturbed by fire. They come into the recovering landscape early, and their growth sets the stage for the other trees that will carry on the regeneration of the forest, further close the canopy, and add to the proliferation of roots that will hold the soil in place and return nutrients to the ecosystem. At Sierra de Mont, in the northeastern corner of Acadia National Park on Mount Desert Island, paper birch, big-tooth aspen, and quaking aspen are resting in waterlogged soils. Two days ago, after an unusually dry period, a cloudburst brought over five inches of rain in less than three hours. It was thought to be a 50-year storm. The park finds itself at the line between the boreal forest in northern Maine and the eastern deciduous forests of southern Maine. It is thus in itself a microcosm of tree migration, a place where researchers and scientists can see patterns happening in real time, even if slowly. As the climate turns warmer, as weather and hydrology patterns change, birch aspen successional forests could leave behind an increasingly uncertain blank slate as they fall away from the ecosystem. The trees that have historically arrived to take their place, a mixed conifer deciduous forest, may not always succeed in doing so, as changing conditions and warmer temperatures favor this ecosystem less and less. Sugar maples, yellow birch, and red and white spruce are predicted to be less and less resilient as climate conditions change. Meanwhile, species like red oak and northern oak, which are currently migrating up from the south, might find that these successional ecosystems are suitable for their expanding ranges, if they are able to make it this far north. But there is another possibility. Along the boardwalk at Sierra de Mont, recently rebuilt to a higher elevation with flood risks in mind, so that even the swollen waters from the latest torrential rain rest several inches safely below the walkway, glossy buckthorn is climbing up between the boards. An invasive shrub, it found its way into the park over a decade ago and has taken root aggressively across several of Acadia's ecosystems. It is shade-tolerant, fast-growing, and can thrive in ecosystems that range from sheltered wetlands to exposed mountain summits. Nearly 75 years since the 1947 fire, the birch and aspen at Sierra de Mont are nearing the end of their lifespans, dying natural deaths and falling out of the canopy. What will come up in their place? Species like glossy buckthorn grow faster and more aggressively than the spruce or oak or maple that might otherwise have an opportunity to find their way back into the forest. This is one of the many unknowns of tree migration. As species transition through their natural life cycles, as forests undergo natural processes of succession, regeneration, and shifts in species composition, invasive species are increasingly able to outcompete native trees at critical moments of transition. 
Jesse Wheeler, a vegetation biologist and invasive species expert at Acadia, kneels on the boardwalk and takes note of a new place where glossy buckthorn is growing. Part of his job, he says, is figuring out what the forests of Acadia are going to look like in the future and how to manage these ecosystems for all the factors that are set to change them. But as he kneels to photograph a caterpillar for the state entomologist, concerned that it could be winter moth, a species introduced from Europe that defoliates deciduous trees, and as he turns his gaze back to the forest, which is interspersed with buckthorn, he notes that another aspect of his work is helping to ensure that parts of Acadia will have forests at all. Red Spruce Red Spruce is an abundant tree species in New England and eastern Canada that provides habitat for Bicknell's thrush, Canada lynx, American martin, snowshoe hare, and white-tailed deer. Sustenance to red squirrels, spruce grouse, and white-winged crossbills, and a living for thousands of people who feed their families through their work in the forest products industry. Spruce fir forests make up over one-third of Maine's forested land. These boreal ecosystems migrated south into the state relatively recently in tree time, just 500 to 1,000 years ago, as the climate became increasingly cool and moist, enabling spruce to grow in both low and high elevation climates, where mineral soil layers sustain its shallow roots. Red spruce is long-lived, able to reach an age of 350 years or more, though few spruce trees in New England have been allowed to reach old age. Red spruce's predicted migration out of the state of Maine within as few as 100 years is concerning, and will impact humans and non-humans alike. These predictions are also deeply uncertain, complicated by the intersection of numerous factors, logging and evolving forest management practices, rising seas, warming temperatures, regrowth from historic land use, pollution, the list goes on. Here are just three strands of the complex web of life held within the roots of the red spruce. Thrush Bicknell's thrush, a rare songbird, a long-distance migrant that winters in the greater Antilles and summers in the northeastern United States and southeastern Canada, a gray-brown, renowned vocalist that sings a four-phrased fluting song, is beginning to lose its summer grounds in the montane spruce fir forests that it returns to year after year. Dominated by red spruce, these forests are often found on managed timberland. With pressure mounting on the industry to increase logging in Canada, even some of the trees at higher elevations are being claimed. But with or without direct human activity in these forests, the red spruce of mountaintops is widely predicted to decline in the coming decades, as warmer winters and drier summers push the trees' range north. Some predict that mountaintops might hold on as refugia for spruce, places where climate conditions could remain stable for a longer time. Less optimistic predictions suggest that montane red spruce might disappear entirely from Maine, unable to survive where they have long grown, and living on the sky islands of mountains, having nowhere suitable for their auburn seed cones to go. Marsh. Salt marshes are migrating too. As sea levels rise, park managers at Acadia National Park are helping these coastal wetlands, which flood and drain with the tides, 
to retreat further inland, where they can maintain their integrity and continue to serve their critical role in filtering water, sinking carbon, providing habitat for fisheries and nesting birds, buffering the coast, and preventing floods. In Acadia, these salt marshes border maritime spruce fir forests. As the seas rise and the marsh moves inland, spruce tree habitat is disappearing. The migration of the marsh is expediting the northward journey of spruce. But elsewhere in the park, the presence of the ocean offers coastal spruce fir ecosystems, those that do not border salt marshes, continued access to cool air and moisture, creating a microclimate that could serve as a spruce refuge as summertime conditions further inland become warmer and drier. These are the uncertain, shifting migration fronts of sea and forest. Industry The majority of red spruce in Maine today is growing back after extensive 20th century logging. Along Route 2A between Holton and Bangor, logging roads are set into the hills on either side of the highway in a pattern that from a bird's eye view resembles the stem and veins of a leaf, a main throughway with a series of diagonal arteries extending from it in parallel lines. Large swaths of trees have been felled along each of these veins. Many are red spruce. Some of those spruce trees now lie horizontally in the large dirt driveways of timber companies that line the roadside. Others are seen rumbling by on the backs of logging trucks, on their way to be processed into pulp for paper, into joists, rafters, pilings, and construction timbers, into boards, dowels, tool handles, and sounding boards for instruments. Along with balsam fir, red spruce leads Maine's forest products industry, largely because these softwoods are readily available. Even as the industry has declined in the last decade, it still accounts for one out of every 20 jobs in the state. An average of 500,000 acres of forest are harvested annually in Maine, the majority of which is left to regenerate naturally, rather than by replanting. The state's forests are growing more wood annually, 9.6 million cords, than is being harvested, 7.8 million cords. Some timber companies are striving toward more sustainable models of harvesting. But underlying these facts is an assumption that trees are commodities. Underlying these facts is a human view of time. As these forests shift, can we find opportunities to shift our own understanding? As the trees are pulled into the new patterns of a warming planet, can we learn to embark on our own migration, our own pilgrimage, a journey that slows us down and brings us into the deep time of trees? Can we still find a way to walk with them and hear the stories they have to tell, can we relearn how to see the parts of ourselves that they carry with them? Emergence Magazine is an initiative of Calliopeia Foundation. Our original essays, in-depth interviews, films, and rich multimedia explore the threads connecting ecology, culture, and spirituality. Our theme music is composed by H. Scott Salinas. This podcast is edited by Ben Solitiano. You can subscribe to our podcast wherever podcasts are found. To subscribe to our newsletter, order our new print edition, and check out more of our stories, visit emergencemagazine.org.